about those words, um, O come, O Savior of this world. And the reason why I want you to think about that is as we dig in today to our, our uh, sermon series, keep in, remind, keep in, uh, keep in mind that uh, we are doing our Christmas Impossible sermon series. You can grab your Bibles, turn to Luke, and I want you to think about those words, all right? As you think about those words, because we're going to read kind of a, a, a section, I don't want to say that you never read it, but it's something that oftentimes isn't focused on when we uh, think about the Christmas story. And we're going to be looking at Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. So as you flip there, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we'll get started. Father, we pray today that you would speak to us. That God, through your word, we would understand uh, the greatness of your uh, sending of your son, Jesus Christ. That God, in the midst of everything that goes on in Christmas, that we would understand what it means to be on the path of peace, the path that you have directed us toward uh, through the sending of your son. And God, I pray just in the midst of the busyness and the chaos that we would experience as we've looked at joy uh, the last past couple weeks, but God, that we would experience peace in our lives in the midst of a time that can be so overwhelming and so chaotic. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You'll have to forgive me. Um, I am on week three of this junk um, and it's gotten worse, not better, so I don't know what to say other than uh, if I start coughing, we may wrap up early. Hopefully not, but uh, that's the way it is. Hey, when you think about Christmas music, and I know we've talked about this, do you get excited or do you become a Scrooge? <laughs> Somebody's truthful, all right? Uh, one of the things that I always struggle with, I, I, I really try not to get, obviously, into the Christmas season uh, until after Thanksgiving, but I know there's a radio station here in Kansas City that starts Christmas music November 1st. I'm not going to name any names, um, but uh, to me, it's crazy that Christmas music starts that soon. But you may be the person who says, I love Christmas music any time of the year. I don't. I want Christmas music only at Christmas time. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember going to a church service one time and they did a Christmas song. Couldn't tell you what, but the minute they started singing, it was like in the middle of May, they started singing. And I was like, what the heck? I'm not singing this song. It's a Christmas song. But the reason was, was because the pastor was trying to make a point. He says, hey, you got to start to think about the words you sing, what you're recognizing, and what you're acknowledging when you do that. And so oftentimes, Christmas music can be one of those things that we don't think about. Now, I, I know everything like Santa Claus got ran over by a what? Reindeer. Yeah, there we go. Walking home from... Or yeah, yeah, grandma, sorry, I said Santa Claus. Grandma got ran over by a reindeer walking home from our house Christmas Eve, all right? Santa Claus is coming too, all right? All of those things are great, but the reality is um, they're about Santa, they're about a white Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, which right now we got a white Christmas Eve, which is great, all right? But the reality is a lot of times we don't think about the words that we sing or the words that are sung in the midst of the, the songs that are going on. And in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, you're going to see Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is the dad of, or the father of John the Baptist, um, and he is now in a, in a response of worship because of John uh, being born. He is he's pouring out his heart to God and just revealing a number of things that we're going to look at. And, and I want you to think about this, because songs have meaning, do they not? I mean, many songs, if you listen to the words, can have a significant meaning, can have significant encouragement uh, to them or in them for us. Other songs have no meaning at all, all right? 
Or, or maybe they do have meaning, but they really just seem pointless or, or, or weird or, or, or things like that. But so this morning, we're going to break down the meaning of Zechariah's song, and we're going to watch how he communicates the truth of the gospel through this song. And I think that's the beauty that we have to begin to understand is Zechariah, <coughs> excuse me, in the midst of what's going on, acknowledges the birth of his son, but then he's going to say, hey, here's the deal. I know my son is significant, but he is not foremost. All right, so if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter one, starting in verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Now, he's not talking about his son, John the Baptist. He's talking about the coming Messiah. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, there's two sections or two parts that are gonna go on here, and there's the first part that Zechariah's literally pouring out, and he's acknowledging everything that was promised in the Old Testament. He's acknowledging the prophecies of what's to come. And then he gets to a point where he acknowledges his son, and he acknowledges what his son is supposed to do, or is going to do, or is gonna be called to do. And the message in Jesus' birth is meant to bring certainty in uncertain times. And that's what we've said throughout this whole sermon series. As a matter of fact, uh, Ethan, as you pop up that slide, the message in Jesus' birth is meant to bring certainty in uncertain times. It's meant to embolden our faith, to teach us the truth of God's power and the extent of God's love. And what we're gonna see here in Zechariah's song as we've dug into it and already read it is we're gonna see exactly that. We're gonna see it's meant to embolden our faith. It's meant to teach us the truth of God's power and to the extent of God's love. And so as we do that, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that Jesus came to give forgiveness and life and to lead us into the path of peace. You're gonna see that as we unpack that. Jesus came to give us forgiveness or to give forgiveness in life and to lead us into the path of peace. And so here's what I wanted to do with today's question. I wanted to ask this, what are the facts about the coming Christ? What are the facts about the birth of Jesus that Zachariah even brings up here in a song? Why? Because songs have meaning. Every, every bit of every song has some sort of meaning. The words behind the song have meaning. And Zechariah, a matter of fact, I, I thought about this and I wish I would have done this in the past and maybe we'll do it in the future. But if you'll notice, there are literally four songs that take place throughout the birth narrative in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew that are represented 
all right? You have Mary's song that we, we, we did not cover at all. We didn't even really read it that I know of. We have Mary's song in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 46. You have Zechariah's song. You have the song of the angels. And then you have the song of everybody else that's singing as a result of it, all right? And, and so there's a beauty that takes place here in Scripture that unpacks the gospel. And that's exactly what Zechariah does here. Zechariah goes from the beginning to the end or the birth and he unpacks the truth of the gospel and the reality of what it is. So what are the facts about the coming Christ? Number one is this. Here's fact number one. Jesus came to save his people. The birth of Jesus was a result of the very promise that God made from the beginning of time that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come to save his people. So here's Zechariah focuses on the great purpose for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, to the earth. He came to save the people. And he says it in, in various ways, in four different ways. Number one, he says, he has come and redeemed his people, verse 68. He has raised up a horn of salvation, verse 69. He has come to save us from our enemies, uh, salvation from our enemies, verse 71, and to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, verse 74. And then in verse 77, he has come to forgive our sins. In other words, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And so the beauty of that always is to remember this, that Jesus' birth is the promise of forgiveness of sins. All right, it's the beginning of the end. I can't remember, there was something I was watching the other day and it kept talking about the beginning of the end. Um, just over and over and over again, but it's the beginning of the end, really. The birth of Jesus is the beginning of the end, the end of death through life in Christ, the end of sin through the forgiveness of sin in Christ, the end of, 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 of those things as a result. So it's the beginning of the end when Jesus is born. And so Zechariah is telling us that God did not visit this planet simply to see how we're doing but that God came for a purpose. And the very reason he came, we were in trouble. The very reason he came was because we were in trouble and he came to save us. And that's exactly what Christmas is about. And I, look, I love Christmas. I love to spoil our kids. I love, uh, I love just everything that goes on about it. But to, in order for the kids to understand or in order for people to understand is to keep the main thing, the main thing, the focus, the focus. And the beauty of, and, 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 and the glory and the majesty of God's good news is simply that. Look at, look at Luke chapter 19. You don't have to flip over there, but if you're taking notes, write this down. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And it says, <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus came to seek and save that which was what? Lost. So he came into the world looking for the very thing that was lost. All right? That was the main point. Matter of fact, if you read the gospel of Luke, and I've, I've had a number of conversations, but the gospel of Matthew was big time about trying to show Jewish people the way to the Messiah. And so that's why when you read the gospel of Matthew, Matthew is the hardest on Pharisees. He's the hardest on the teachers of the law. Why? Because Matthew was a tax collector. And in the midst of Matthew being a tax collector, Matthew was oftentimes ostracized, kept out, could not go into the temple. He had violated the, the Jewish cultures and customs. He was against the people of Israel because he was really working for the Roman government. And in reality, working for himself because usually a tax collector would charge him more money because the more he charged him, he would pay his dues or his payments of taxes to the Roman people. But the more he charged, the more he made. 
And so Matthew was an outcast. So Matthew comes in and he writes his gospel and it's all about how the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law are in violation. They don't understand the big picture. Luke is big on the salvation and he's on salvation for everybody to the point where you'll see that in the, in the gospel of Luke, the word salvation is found 10 times, I'm sorry, in Luke and Acts, but only once in the other gospels. But the verb to save is found 17 times in Luke and 13 times in Acts. Luke had a very specific story he wanted people to understand. So in the midst of what we see in Zechariah's song, and Zechariah's song only being in Luke, Luke has a message he's trying to portray, and that is that salvation comes only through Christ. That Jesus' birth was the beginning of salvation for all of mankind if you put your faith and trust in Christ. And so this salvation involves the individual's life. It involves their purpose. It involves in recognizing that those who are lost, Jesus came for. And so it comes through faith and it involves forgiveness of sins. So we're going to unpack that. The facts are, what are the facts about the coming of Christ? Number one, Jesus came to save people. And here's the big picture. In the midst of celebrating that in our life, we have to always keep that in remind, in, rem in remembrance or reminding ourselves consistently that Jesus came to seek and save that which was what? So the main point or purpose of the church should be to help people who are lost find Jesus, hope, life. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> so when we remember that, we remember the key point of why Jesus came in the first place. So remember fact number one, Jesus came to save his people. Jesus came to save those who were lost. Number two, that the Messiah's coming was a fulfillment of prophecy. The Messiah's coming was fulfilled, all right? You'll look all throughout this section of scripture and you see what Luke does, but he lays this out and he, he's using Old Testament. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, who? David, all right? So he's starting to tie back into the Old Testament and he says, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore before our father Abraham. So for Luke, the coming of Christ clearly did not bring the creation of a new religion, but the fulfillment of the very promises that God made from the very beginning. So what seems impossible for man is only possible through God. And so this Christmas impossible is leading us on the path of peace. But listen to what it says. It was promised by the prophets. In other words, how he said through the prophets of long ago. Do you realize that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies? Over 300. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Based upon the prophets and what they said and what was going to happen as a result of that. But it says it was cherished by the fathers to show mercy to our fathers. And it was guaranteed by the oath to Abraham. And if you remember the oath of Abraham, you have to remember the covenant that God made with him. I will make you a great nation, right? And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you because you are going to be the father of many nations. And so what? Zechariah is realizing is he's calling back and remembering the very promise that God made that through the seed of Abraham, through the lineage of David, through all of that spilled down, that Jesus was going to come. The Messiah would come from the Father, be born of a virgin. Matter of fact, you can go back to what we just read this morning, Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9. 
be born of, a, a, born of a virgin, born in the city of Bethlehem, Micah chapter five, verse two, and that he would pay the price for everybody else. So the fact remains that the Messiah's coming was the fulfillment of prophecy. And so what really happens is this truth leads me to a crucial conclusion about Jesus Christ. He must be great because the preparation for his coming took a long time. Did it not 2,000 years to prepare for it, all right? But you have to remember this, that history is really his, what? Story. The truth of the matter is that all that came before him pointed to him and all that comes after him looks back to him. He is the centerpiece of history, the demarcation between yesterday and tomorrow. And in the birth of Jesus Christ, we have come to a key point in history. So when we remember that, we remember that it was all about fulfilling the promised stories, the promised prophecy that was portrayed before. So remember the facts What are the facts? Number one, that Jesus came to save his people. Number two, that the Messiah was, the Messiah's coming was fulfilled. Number three is this, that Jesus' birth is life transforming. Listen to what takes place. And we're gonna focus on verses 76 and following. And I love the beauty of the story because remember, Zechariah sings this song. He, He acknowledges the Savior. He acknowledges God's work But in verse 76 is this, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. So he's talking about his son, John the Baptist. You'll be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to what? To prepare the way. And so what we see in the New Testament, what we see in the Gospels, Matthew and Luke and Mark, is that John the Baptist goes out preparing the way for the Lord. He's he's the one that's coming. He was Elijah, the, you know, the, the, what do you want to call it? The, the, anyways, he bore the spirit of Elijah. It was what, what the, the, the Elijah of the New Testament, all right? All right. And my child will be called a prophet of the most high for he will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And this is the reason why. Verse 77, why was John the Baptist called to prepare the way? To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God. So there's this point. In order to understand or have the knowledge of salvation, I have to realize it's through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. (coughs) So he's laying out this beautiful picture that Jesus' birth is life transforming. His coming produces, listen, emotional transformation. His coming uh, produces ethical or moral transformation, and his coming produces a spiritual transformation, a change in our life, and enables us to serve him. And so many people live with this chaos and desperation during Christmas, and they ask this question, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What is my purpose? And the beauty of this section of scripture is literally to lay this out. Now, granted, remember, this is about John the Baptist. But I want to ask you this question today. If we are called to go and make disciples, if we are called to bear witness about the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ did, do we not bear in some way, shape, or form the responsibility not to prepare the way for the Lord, but to point back to the Lord 
So the reality or the fact remains that it is our responsibility. Why? Because we have been transformed by the new life in Christ. So it is our responsibility, it is our obligation. It is as a result of our love for Christ because of what he's done that we are called to do the very same thing that John the Baptist was. To give people the knowledge of salvation. To let them know the truth of the gospel, to let them understand why Jesus came in the first place. Why did he have to be born that way? Why was he uh, to, to respond in a certain way to the sins? And he says this, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. That is just simply an echo of, or maybe I should say this, Paul in Ephesians chapter two is just echoing what John said. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. So Jesus' birth is life transforming. What seems impossible with God is, or what seems impossible with man is only possible with God. <coughs> so he came so that we who were lost in sin might be lifted up into the service of God. He came so that we who served another master might serve God, our creator. He came so that we who feared death might serve God free from fear of death. See, Zechariah makes the answer clear. Jesus Christ came to admit us to a joyful service of God. Do you get that? He came, Jesus came so that we could joyfully serve God in our lives. But he also came so that we who were what would you call it, idle, we who were lazy maybe in our own workplace jobs would understand that Jesus has called us in our workplace jobs to do the same thing. I was talking with a gentleman, I can't remember who it was this week, um, and he talked about, oh, I know, I was sorry, we were at Burger King. I was up here on Friday, we were doing the new signs, by the way, love the signs, they look awesome, but we were putting up the new signs and I went to Burger King with one of the gentlemen that was helping us with it. And I was talking to a guy behind the counter. And I'd invited him to our Christmas Eve service. And I said, I'm sure you guys don't have to work Christmas Day. And he goes, oh, no, no, we do. And I went, what? Like Burger King's open on Christmas Day? What's this world coming to? But anyways, um, so I'm talking to him and I'm like, hey, we'd love to have you at Christmas Eve service. He goes, I may do that. He goes, I, I, went, I was gonna go in the ministry at first. Um, he spent 24 years in the army, uh, felt like God was maybe calling him to ministry and then decided not to go. Even though he got his major um, in, in college after he got out of the army, he got his major in Christian ministry, decided not to go into ministry because he said, I felt like I could do more or have more impact outside of doing ministry by just being a Christian and working. And I was like, well, that's awesome, man. Because the reality is this, and I, I want to challenge everybody in this, is not everybody's called the pastor. And even if you are called the pastor, there's also a beauty of something that takes place when you're around lost people. Most pastors, and I'll even say this from experience, most pastors get so stuck in a bubble that they don't realize what most people deal with. When, when everything happened in our last church, I remember thinking, when people wouldn't show up. Now, granted, it was Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights for the most part. Uh, when people wouldn't show up, that they just didn't care. And then I started working 65 hours, 60, 65 hours a week for my dad. 
And I realized, man, you got one shot, bro. I went to Sunday morning church and I served on Tuesday nights by teaching a class at, my, at, at the church that we were at at the time. It was it. I had 65 hours of work a week, working my tail off. And I realized at that point as a pastor, look, there are so many expectations that pastors oftentimes place upon people that they don't understand the reality of what's going on. And so here's my challenge to you. Always make church a priority, but always make work the main place that you share your faith. Because where you're at, you're at for a reason. God gave you the gifts, talents, and abilities. He provided that job for a reason. And there are people who I know that you know that are without a relationship with Jesus Christ that need Jesus. And the only Jesus they may ever see is you. The only truth they may ever hear is from you. The only worship they may ever truly experience is something that they watch you do day in and day out as you serve Jesus wholeheartedly by being the best employee you can be. And so the truth of the matter is Jesus' birth is life transforming because he's called me where I'm at to do the very same thing that he had called John the Baptist in the past, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. See, over and over and over again, we think about it so often that Jesus came to make bad people good. And I said this a long time ago, but Jesus did not come to make bad people good. And I know that may be contrary to what a lot of times think. We're like, oh man, yeah, Jesus came to make bad people good. True, but not true. Jesus came to make dead people what? Alive. Why? Because I am dead in my trespasses and sins, but I am no longer trapped in that. I am alive in Christ. The life I live, I no longer live for myself, but I live for the glory of God. So Jesus' birth is life transforming. It is calling me to be transformed inside as well as outside. And so he came so that we who were unholy, we who were unrighteous, were made holy and made righteous, not by anything we do, but by everything that Jesus did. So what's the facts? We already talked about Jesus came to save his people. Number one. Number two, the Messiah's coming was a fulfillment of scripture. Number three, was that Jesus' birth is life transforming. And number four, that Jesus has rescuing power. Listen to again what he says, all right? Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. And listen to what he says. To shine on those living in what? Darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. See, it's the light for those who are in darkness, ever been trapped in darkness? Like bad darkness, like pitch black dark, like you have no clue where you're going darkness. Or maybe you've gotten up in the middle of the night and you try and walk across your bedroom and you stub your toe and you try really hard not to say something because you don't want to wake up your wife or husband. You get the picture in darkness. What does it take when it comes to light it doesn't take much, does it? I mean, you know, I mean, I know in today's world with all these super bright flashlights with like 15,000 lumen, you know, but sometimes all it takes is a little match. Have you ever been out camping before 
and it's pitch black and you go and you find that lantern and you get that match out or maybe the lighter nowadays, but you used to get it and you strike that match. That little match will light up the whole picnic table before you even lit, lit the lantern. That little match would light up an area that you could see. And once you got that lantern lit, it got even brighter. But Jesus came to have light or bring light to shine light on those living in darkness, those who are wandering around, trapped by sin, trapped by their deceptive nature, and who are trapped by the shadow of death. And he says, I shine light on those living in the darkness in the shadow of death so that they can find their way out. They can find their way out by just following me. See, the reality is when you're in dark, what do you want to do? You follow the light. You go to the area where it seems, we used to, we used to play a thing called uh, uh, Romans and Christians. <coughs> Anybody play that growing up? Okay, we'd do Romans and Christians. And it may sound weird. It's just really a game of hide and seek. All right? But what would happen is it was in the church. All right? And, and sometimes we would play Romans and Christians where, and what you would do is one person would go hide and you had to find the person. But when you found the person, you didn't tell everybody you found them. You had to hide with them. And the funny thing was all the lights were on, pitch black. And I learned the quickest way. You want to know how you're not found? Go into a big empty room and sit right in the middle. I'm dead serious. Because everybody who goes in the room does this. And they try and find the person by following the wall. And you sit right in the dead middle. But the minute somebody turns on a light, guess what happens? Everybody sees. Oh, what? The, how, you, were you there the whole time? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that's, that's, man, that's messed up. And that's what we started to do. We'd go and sit in the middle of a room. And then people figure it out. But the reality is this. When you are in darkness and all of a sudden just a simple light comes on, what do you do with the light? You follow it. Anybody ever been in a cave, you would know what I'm talking about. You get stuck back in those caves and all of a sudden it's light. It's like, whoa, hey, there, there's, a, there's a crack. I can see my way out. But that's exactly what Jesus does is he comes out and he shines on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. And then he gives this. To guide our feet into the path of what? So listen what he's saying. He shines light into darkness to those trapped in the shadow of death to lead their feet to the path of what? Peace. See, the question is this. Are you living during Christmas with a path of peace? Are you walking towards or you, do you feel like you're moving toward that path of peace or are you staying out? Because he says to guide our feet into the path of peace. Matter of fact, I want to point that out. Not a path of peace, not one of many paths of peace. It's a thing called the definite article. The beauty of the definite article is saying the, in other words, the only. In order to have peace, I have to understand that God came to guide me to the path of peace. The path of peace is based upon following Jesus. And when I follow Jesus, regardless of what happens, then I can follow with peace. Knowing that if I'm called to die for the sake of the gospel, then that 
is what God had called me to do. If I am called to be persecuted or made fun of by today's Christian standards for the sake of the gospel, then that's what we would say we do. But Jesus came as a result, and I love how Zechariah lays this out. And you have to realize that a lot of times our English doesn't do it justice. Because Zechariah would have sang this most likely in Hebrew. And I guarantee it had some rhyme because they were very creative. And Zechariah lays out the truth of the Old Testament and the truth of the New Testament in a simple 12-verse section where he praises God first for the sending of the Messiah and acknowledging the responsibility that he knows that God has told him his son will bear by being the one to prepare the way for the Lord. And so when we think about Christmas impossible, I ask you this question, does Christmas seem impossible when it comes to the word peace? Yesterday we were coming back, Jason and I were coming back from downtown and I was gonna exit off 291, off of I-70. Anybody knows what yesterday was and I'm gonna completely avoid it today. But as I'm pulling over on, on 70, I got my blinker on, I'm gonna exit off 291, go north, I look up and traffic is backed up. Because everybody decided to wait to go to the Independence Center till yesterday. And maybe some today. So I'm just giving you a warning. You probably aren't going to want to go to the Independence Center around today. But the question is, and, and that's not peace to me. I'm sorry. So I went down to the next exit. I'm like, I'm going to go to the Little Blue. I'll get off and exit there and not have to deal with it because that's not peaceful. <laughs> that's not enjoyable. I want nothing to do with those crowds. Now, when I was a teenager, it'd be like, oh, crowds, let's go. Now it's like, oh, crowds, leave. <laughs> but let me ask you this question, just simply, as we wrap up. If you're struggling with the path of peace, are you struggling because you're following something else? Are you following the light? Are you following your own way? Because it's easy to do that. It's easy to become, really to be stuck in a rut. To let Jesus become monotonous instead of Jesus being something real to us every day. And so he says to guide our feet into the path of peace. Jesus did not come again to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive and he wants to guide us into the path of peace. And so if we look at Christmas through this lens, I believe we see it a new light that he has come to save his people. He has come to release us from our fears. He has come to forgive our sins and to lead us into life. And he has come to guide us to the path of peace. And so Christmas may not be peaceful, but Jesus says, I have come to guide you into the path of peace. Today, and I know we've got people in different areas, but we have this uh, elf on the shelf and our elf on the shelf this morning was found, for those of you who don't know um, what we do, our elf on the shelf was found doing what? Reading what? Yeah, reading the birth story of Jesus. And so what I want to challenge you to do today, just in a simple way, and maybe whatever goes on in, in, in your life tomorrow, 
in the midst of opening presents, in the midst of all your other holiday traditions is to make the story of Jesus the primary story. So tomorrow before you open your presents, read the Christmas story. Or maybe you're the person who, maybe you read the, the, or open the presents and then read the story afterwards. But before you go chasing all the stuff with the world that quote unquote brings peace, before you start giving the gifts that people think are gonna make them so happy, choose to follow the path of peace and let Jesus be the primary story. Let Jesus be the primary truth in all of Christmas. That's my challenge today to us that we do that. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we know that you came to establish forgiveness and love through your son and that you would lead us to the path of peace. And so God, today, as we close with the song, as we listen to the words of this, God, may we understand that the path of peace is possible when we follow you, when we keep you as the priority, when we focus on the fact that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, which was the beginning of the end, the opportunity to to have the forgiveness of sins and to experience life and life more abundantly. So God, may we keep you focused. May we be uh, focused on you first and foremost in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We're going to close with this song. You can sit and listen to it. This is Dan. This is Bethany's uh, father and uh, Bethany. They're going to close with this song. Um, And I want to invite you back. Don't forget, grab the cards. I know today it's Christmas Eve. You may or may not be going out. Grab more cards. It's still not too late uh, to invite people to Christmas Eve service tonight at 630.